0: Allison Little, a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur who has built businesses and brands for the past decade. I'm passionate about helping high achievers launch to the next level. Hello and welcome to the Launch Podcast with Allison Little. This week's episode is called Feel Good Voting with Janessa Krasnow. Janessa is a communication strategist and transformational designer. She specializes in designing and implementing leading-edge campaigns and technology entertainment, activism, and well-being. Janessa Krasnow has worked with heads of state, including His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Grammy award-winning musicians, Fortune 100 companies and CEOs, startups, and educational institutions. She has designed and produced campaigns that have reached millions of people, received patents for user experience design, and has built local, national, and global strategies. I am super excited to share with you my friend Janessa. You know this is kind of funny because we met in line at Unleash the Power Within at Tony Robbins in Chicago and it was one of those things where you meet somebody and you ask them about that cool lanyard they're wearing. Well I did that and I I struck up a conversation with this phenomenal woman who has done so many awesome things and I was captivated by her and her spirit and And you know when you meet somebody and you're like, oh my gosh, I just want to know more. Uh, That's how Janessa was. And she is just one of those transformational leaders that's making change happen in such a big way. And I knew that you as The Launch listeners needed to hear her story and what she's working on right now, which is called Feel Good Voting. And so hello, Janessa, and thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, Allison, I am
1: absolutely thrilled to be here and thank you for that generous And warm introduction, I could say the same right back to you. Just this effervescent and brilliant spirit that you are.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I'm so excited to share your story and what you're working on right now with our listeners. Uh, So could you tell us a little bit about you, Janessa? Sure. I would say I
1: am driven by a belief that we are all better when we are connected to ourselves, and to one another. That the work I've been motivated to do is work that always invites people to drop deeper into themselves and rise together as a community. And I've had a really varied and adventurous life. Like, I have had so many different realms of jobs and ventures I've started and adventures I've gone on. And I think that the through line for everything is this belief that empathy is a guide. And also just knowing that if I'm not in joy and I'm not in love and I'm not my best self, and sometimes my best self is, as you're seeing me today, needing a haircut and just super Stressed out and not always grounded and feeling lonely. I mean, there's parts, you know, I have holes all over the place. And, but I believe that in this collective consciousness, and I believe that the change we seek in the places where we feel less seen and known and heard are places that we can nurture within ourselves so that we can connect better to others. And so, you know, that's kind of a long way of saying I have traveled through many different careers and many different realms of living that I'm happy to get into more detail about, but all with the purpose of being
0: most enlivened and most In truth Mm, that's beautiful and I'm so excited to just learn from you I'm excited to have a conversation with you like this is such an honor and I love how you as you know I was doing research on you and as I chatted with you when we met the first time you talked about how you were working for Microsoft and tell me about kind of that transition you were working for Microsoft kind of what did you do there and like what happened
1: Okay. Well, I, I, I'm going to back up just a little bit more. Okay. So when I was a young person, and this will date me, but who cares? Um, the things I was most inspired by were like the event Hands Across America, where people held hands across the entire country, or Live Aid, which Bob Gildoff was inspired to do to raise money for hungry people in Africa. So feed the world. And this idea of just this collective mentality. And so I went into the music business with this desire to produce benefit concerts. And when I got in the music business, I was a young person. I was a teenager. I did it all through college. And then after college, I worked in the music industry. I didn't know how to play the politics of the music industry. I mean, partially, you know, I was a young woman. There was a lot of misogyny that nobody was talking about at the time. And I just didn't know how to navigate that world. And so I felt very much out of my skin, even though super impassioned and inspired by the artistry and the creativity and the way people come together through music. But I just wasn't myself. So I, I per started looking at other things. And I discovered that there was a graduate program at NYU at Tisch School of the Arts. And it was a computer art program and it was before the internet had an interface which really makes it sound forever ago but it wasn't that long ago and my school was a two year program and we built we were early beta testers for Netscape which was the first internet browser and then I was recruited by Microsoft out of NYU and the funny thing is I had never used a PC I'd only used Macs and I didn't even know software was for sale which says a lot about what was happening at my school we won't say that that word that people were doing just sharing software so i was like oh my god this is a business who knew but microsoft hired me to build prototypes that illustrated how people would use technology 5 to 10 years in the future so essentially they'd say you know the entire living room is going to be filled with technology and everything's going to be wired together and you know what are people going to do with that and i would just Imagine how would that work in life and then I would write stories and design these very elaborate prototypes and they would be used for executive keynotes and to influence product development I have several patents for innovative um, user interface designs I did a lot in the television space a lot in the mobile space and it was very unexpected from where I thought I was going to be, but really amazing work to just imagine what came next.
0: Mm, That's so fascinating. So you got to work kind of at the beginning of everything, and I'm sure we're enjoying some of the things that, you know, you thought of a while ago is now like have, it has evolved and has grown into where we are now. So then you shifted to really focusing on empathy. Tell us about that transition.
1: You know, it's funny when I was doing the designs at Microsoft and, you know, user experience design, so interface designs and how people use things. My lens was always user empathy design. It's not a word that's in our lexicon, but it's how do people relate to things? How do people relate to each other? So when I left, I just knew that building software for software's sake wasn't going to be enough for me just because we couldn't do it. Didn't mean we had to do it. Although, I mean, I, I wholly admire the work that Microsoft does and is doing currently. And actually even their current CEO of the, of the company, Sanjay, his whole mission is empathy. So it's interesting. It's caught up to itself and, and he has a really big lens on how we connect to each other. So I, wanted to do work in empathy. I wanted to create experiences where people could tap into what it was like to be somebody else and to put, actually be in their shoes. And I met this man, amazing man who's since passed, who was part of the University of Washington Comparative History of Ideas program. And he invited me in as a visiting artist to immerse myself in that program. And I built two installations while I was there. One was, a very early virtual reality installation on affirmative action and what race relations played on the college campus. And this was 2002. This was, I mean, race has always been an issue and always been talked about, but it wasn't bubbling over the way it is now. And I also built this installation on gender in restrooms and who knew that that was gonna become a thing, but I built this simulated restroom and it was in the School of Architecture, and you would go and you would, it had touch sensors. And so if I was in the men's room, I'd hear stories about what it's like to be a woman. And in the woman's room, I would hear stories of what it was like to be a man. And I prompted it with all these questions, and it was just a really interesting experience to try to get people to think in another way.
0: Oh my goodness, that's amazing. And I'm sure it was impactful for people to understand kind of that different perspective of how people think and understand them a little bit better and have that empathy for them. You know, I think that's so needed right now, right, where we can step into somebody else's shoes and really empathize with their situation and perhaps some of the challenges or obstacles that they're facing in their life and really understand and connect with them in that way where um, maybe we don't or haven't lived in their shoes, but we can at least try to see where they're coming from. And I think that that openness and that communication and understanding that is really important. So, I want to shift gears and I really want to talk about your Feel Good Voting because that kind of ties into everything that you're doing and I want to make sure we leave enough time for that. What inspired you to found uh, Feel Good Voting? What does it mean? What does it look like and how is it going to impact the world? I asked you a lot of questions just then, but I figure, yeah, (laughs) just tell us about it.
1: (laughs) And what you said before is so true, too, about needing empathy. And I think that was some of the motivation. So I've just been a longtime activist. I've always worked in electoral politics in some way as a volunteer. I really feel like, you know, 100 million people did not vote in 2016. And so then, and I believe 46% of them were under the age of 30. And the ironic thing is that this cast of characters, these under 30 humans, they, they are the a uh, larger voting block than the people who are deciding who are our leaders. And yet they're not exercising their right to vote. And they don't have a sense that voting is actually the highest form of revolution. That for some reason voting's become the status quo. And people don't vote if 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 their person isn't elected or people don't vote because they don't know how to or people don't vote because they don't have time or it's become this thing that isn't an impetus for doing good for being a conscious citizen for working together towards the progress we want and what we realized is that 90, so I co-founded this with a really fascinating man, Andy Forrest, and we realized that 95% of young people are on social media. 9% of them are looking at mainstream media. So their information is coming from their peers and coming from role models, the influencers, as we call them now. I mean, that's... and. So they're not necessarily reading the same thing I'm reading or they're not following the same people I'm following. They're paying attention to each other. So that's how they're learning. And so we realized that we could work with influencers, particularly micro influencers, people that have about 10K to 250K followers who have really deep relationships with the people that are following them, and that we could work with them to put out get out the vote messages and increase voter registration and increase the request for mail in ballots. And we started this pre COVID and pre Black Lives Matter uprising, and all of this wasn't going on. We just knew there's a digital opportunity here. And it's proving itself. It's really interesting. You know, we're a new organization, six months old, and we are having really strong results with people watching a piece of media made by an influencer and then clicking the links which take them to our website where we're in partnership with vote.org and actually registering to vote or requesting mail-in ballots. and. I would say, you know, I kind of explained how we're thinking and what we're doing. But the most important thing I think you said when you were responding to the empathy, which is that because of social media, we can shout out our opinions to people and get a lot of affirmation and accolades or even the opposite when our opinions are not appreciated. But we're not really doing this. And this is, I'm using hand gestures, but this is having a two-way conversation. So if you don't think the way I think, we've gotten out of the habit of wanting to know why. It's become more important for us to feel like we're right and we're good and we're certain rather than what is it that's motivating you? You know, what's What's ailing you? And actually, that question of what's ailing you was kind of the beginning of feel-good voting when Andy and I would meet. We knew we wanted to create a values-based media company, and we knew we, we believed in what was happening with behavior change science which is, you know, you do things that your peers tell you to do. You do things because role models tell you to do them and you respond to indirect messages. And so we were thinking, how do we create this values-based media company where we can tap into what's ailing people and give them another way, another way of seeing it, another way of doing, another way of feeling. And then we were like, you know what? The most important thing right now in our society is getting people engaged in civic activities and voting and participating in who we bring to office. The last thing I'll just say about it is that feel good voting, the name has two meanings. One is when you participate, it feels good. I mean, I heard from so many young people who went and marched in solidarity with Black Lives Matter that they even during a pandemic, masking up their families, worrying that they would come back from a protest or a march. And they, I would say, how was it? And they'd say, it felt so good to be standing together. It felt so meaningful to be there. And so does voting. It feels really good to cast your vote and to have a voice. And then the other thing is just believing that we don't need all this negativity. We don't need fear-based behaviors. We need to connect to things that make us feel positive, possible, hopeful, in love, inspired, elevated, etc.
0: Oh, yes, yes. I'm like high-fiving you through the computer, yes. All of that, I uh, I'm just so excited uh, to hear about feel good voting, and uh, you know, as as I was thinking about feel good voting, I I thought about my experience with voting when I was a young child. I was raised by a single parent. And I remember my mom bringing me to the polling station and telling me what we were doing and telling me about how important it was for my voice to be heard uh, when I was old enough to vote and um, giving me the sticker that I voted and uh, explaining how it was our civic duty to do this and that we would make a change happen. And so it 's meaningful in so many different ways right now, especially with what 's happening in the world that each of us understand that we collectively can make change happen and I, I completely agree with you on the be positive place too of of you know put out more love, put out more joy put our energy toward those things that fill our hearts with happiness and joy and all the good stuff because as we do that intentionally and it's hard some days oh my goodness gracious like people will be like how can you be so positive there's so many negative things yeah because I have power over my internal world and I try every single day to have power over my internal world so that externally I can make a positive impact and influence and I think we can all do that and feel good voting is one of the ways that we can absolutely make a change happen in this world I'm so excited about it so so how can our listeners help? You know, we have an awesome um, base of leaders that are all over the world, but especially in the United States, that are, are doing exactly what what you say. They're you know micro influencers that have either companies, corporations that already have teams of people, and let's let's do this. How how can they do that? What can they do to help you?
1: Yes, that's a great question. First, I want to say that your mother must be a wonderful, amazing woman.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. What a,
1: what a great thing to teach you. And I imagine you're giving that to your children.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: for sure. Insane sense And so how people can help us two ways really is that one, we are a nonpartisan organization. We have, we are fiscally sponsored with an organization here in Seattle, a Northwest film form to, as our 501 C three fiscal sponsor. And So we rely solely on donations. And so if people feel compelled, this is a new model. We are basically using the micro-influencer model to get people to vote. And it works. And I am happy to get on the phone with anybody or on a Zoom call with anybody and walk them through our strategy and the data so they can see that we are one of the lowest cost conversions of voters out there. And for us to scale, of course, we need more funding always. And Mm -hmm. so if anybody wants to donate, just go to feelgoodvoting.org backslash donate or just feelgoodvoting.org and click on the donate button. And that would help fund this work, which is changing lives. And the second thing is because you have micro influencers out there, I would love to partner with them. So if there's anybody listening who wants to partner, let's do it. Let's make some videos. Our audience that we're trying to reach are women and, and BIPOC people, so people of color who are feeling marginalized and are not necessarily going to the polls and, and support um, the values of social and environmental justice if, when they do vote. And we just want to inspire people to believe that they matter and that every vote matters and that, you know, the other thing is, is that vote by mail. Go to our website, get your mail-in ballot, get it early because the United States Postal Service is having some defunding issues currently. And, you know, they've already taken out over 500 mail or mail sorting machines are getting removed. So we're going to have a backlog. So if you can get your ballot now and order it now, we can make sure that votes get counted and they get counted efficiently and and that every vote counts.
0: Mm. So good. I'm so excited about this, and I'm so excited about our listeners partnering with Feel Good Voting, and it's feelgoodvoting.org. Okay, so Janessa, what are two things you've done in your life to launch to the next level? It's a question I ask all of our guests. I mean, I guess I wonder what you mean by next level. So how do we define that? It could be, um, you know, it could be in your life where you're just like, uh, you're becoming a the best version of yourself. It could be that you have more loving relationships. It could be that, you know, financially you're at a different level. Um, I think, you know, when I think about growth, I'm thinking about like, okay, I'm in my comfort zone and then I step outside my comfort zone. And I know you're one of those people that's probably stepping outside your comfort zone every day. Many people aren't doing that, right? And so I try to give uh, this question to people so that they can understand kind of how high level thinkers think and so that they might implement that in their own life. If if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I'm going to, let me see how I would answer this. This is a great question. I think a couple of things, you know, when I was early in my career, it was a time where women weren't necessarily supportive of other women. And so I would go places and have, I would either be the only woman in the room or I'd be in a room with one other woman who never, who didn't feel like my ally, and I believe that was because there was, and it still is true, there wasn't room for all of us at the top. And so we had to climb over each other to get there. And I have always said that misogyny, which is a word that causes a lot of people to bristle. And I don't want you to bristle when I say that word, because it's, it's just a term to describe something. But what it's describing is something that I would call a triple threat, which is You know, women don't get paid as much, especially women of color. There aren't as many opportunities. The world at large has made it harder for us to play on an equal playing field. Like I just described, you know, when I was working, there was competition between women instead of collaboration. And then we have our own internal, internalized misogyny, really, where we beat ourselves up for not feeling like we're enough or not not believing we're enough or whatever it is. And so I'd say one of my rising points was recognizing that I am an ally mm-hmm. and that I am the champion of other women and that actually when women work together we get amazing things done. And that you're my sister and that I have a world of sisters out there. And so I just want to be the best sister possible. And I don't want to shame men in the process because we designed this society and we just went through the, the motions, a lot of motions without looking at things. And so I think the opportunity for us is to be like, how am I elevating the person next to me? How am, am I taking space because I want to be seen? Or am I helping somebody else be seen? Mm-hmm. Because it's actually better to help somebody else be seen than it is to demand to be seen. And so that's something that I've practiced. And you know, I worked with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, you know, over a decade ago. And that was one of the hardest jobs I've ever done because I wa- hadn't done the internal work to be working with somebody who is all about the internal work. And so that opportunity, working with him, and I mean, I was working 16 hours a day, seven days a week. A lot of your listeners will relate to that because when you're building something, you're just all in crazy. And I was a mess. And I would be like, how was it after working with, this amazing world figure, like the man who embodies compassion. I couldn't even speak for six weeks, not because I was in such awe, because I was, I had not taken one bit of care of myself. It was all about the work. So that brings me to the second piece, which is, I believe COVID, being in a pandemic, being in an uprising, being in this, economic, stressful time, even with the stock market doing well, we know that our brothers and sisters around us may not be benefiting from that, that it is an invitation to design different and that none of this happens accidentally. And if we just continue doing the same performative tasks that we've been doing without taking a moment to say, am I well? Is my neighbor well? How do I make sure? Because if, if I walk past a homeless person on the street and I'm like, oh my God, my bank account's full and I love my wife and I just had, you know, this most delicious dinner last night and I know one day I'll get to travel again or whatever it is and I don't recognize that that person's in pain, if they are unwell, I am also unwell. And so... Yeah, I've had huge successes in my careers, and huge failures, but what my biggest learnings and my biggest launch points are about how can I grow my heart, how can I grow my communication, how can I be a better friend, how can I ask for what I need, how can I put aside petty differences... How can I be more curious? That's where I grow. And I've, I've had a lot of pain, you know, and I take things personally, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to be like everybody else. I want to be recognized. I mean, it's just a fact. I want to feel like people like me. I want to like people. And, but I have to realize that that's not why I'm alive, is for other people to adore me. I am alive to be able to give as much as I can give and inspire other people to do the same. And so that we all know that every one of us can solve the biggest problems facing us. We are the solution.
0: I'm speechless and just so yeah. empowered and excited right now. So yes, to all of that, it's so powerful, Janessa. I mean, obviously you're a storyteller, but it just came from your heart. And I'm so grateful that you took the time and energy to share that with our listeners and with me. I just agree with you. And I think that it's just so amazing how, you know, we need to be the change that we see in the world. We, we truly do. And it starts with us, which at first for me felt selfish. It felt selfish for me to think about me first, and it felt selfish for me to even take the time and energy to grow myself because I thought, well, I have these little ones that are relying on me. I have this husband. I have these businesses. I have all this stuff, and especially as women, we have a lot of things going on, but it does start with us, and I think it's so uh, real of you to, to kind of say that. Number one, that we should be sisters and allies and lift each other up, and number two, really, you know, thinking about how we're growing ourselves and how we're able to um, help lift others and empower others in that really powerful way is is fantastic. So thank you for sharing that. That was so amazing. You know, uh, I like to ask this question. Uh, what is your favorite book and why? Oh, wow. Wow. I have so many. Oh, my yeah, God. That's always the trick. Well, what's your uh, favorite book
1: right now? I would say the most impactful book was when I was a child, was... Johnny Got His Gun. And I think everybody should read that. It's Dalton Trumbo. He was blacklisted. I'm hoping I'm getting that right. But Johnny Got His Gun is a story about a, a guy that goes to World War II and basically has his limbs, all of his limbs blown off. And he's deaf and blind and can't speak. And he wakes up in a hospital and realizes, and it's a process of him remembering his past and remembering this. And it is... It was one of these mind-boggling books of, we don't need war. Like, Mm -hmm. it was so brutal and so poignant and so beautiful and so human. And then, you know, I always loved John Irving. If you haven't read Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert, do. It's so good. I'm reading an amazing book right now that I can't remember the title of, but it's about the women who rode horseback to deliver books from the Eleanor Roosevelt had a library mission. And it takes place in Kentucky. It is so good.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I don't have a favorite book. I love books. I... That's my love language. That's what I tell my husband. husband. Books are my love language. So just buy me books and I'm good, right? Oh, my God. You have to put, I send me your reading list. Yeah, absolutely. I need it. I want to know what other people are saying. Yeah, absolutely. I've got to create a list of all of these wonderful ideas. It's awesome. Well, Janessa, this has been such a pleasure. How do people get a hold of you? Well, the best way to reach me
1: is... Through email, which is Janessa, G-E-N-E-S-S-A, at feelgoodvoting.org.
0: Awesome. And you can always check out their website at feelgoodvoting.org. Thank you so much, Janessa, for being you and for just shining your light so bright in the world and having empathy and caring for others and creating an awesome platform for us to get out the vote. Feelgoodvoting.org is going to be such a success and make such an impact. And I thank you for that. To our launch listeners, I thank you for sharing and being a part of this community. You guys are amazing and wonderful. And I look forward to next week's episode. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Launch Podcast. I'm Allison Little, and I'm so excited that you spent your time with me. Look for future episodes and connect with me on social media or at my website at www.allisonlittle.com.